So, for the past, past two weeks, we've been talking about gifts. In particular, the unusual gifts that three wise men gave to baby Jesus. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, this story is recorded in Matthew 2, 10 to 11. When they, the wise men, saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. They, then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now these gifts were very practical for the family. They were also incredibly valuable. But there's more. They were also deeply spiritual. You see, these gifts foreshadowed what Jesus would do and be for us. So frankincense. That was an incense used by the priests in offering sacrifices for the, for the sins of the people. And so this represents Jesus as our high priest. And it's the, the high priest. He is the high priest who is the mediator between God and humans and who would offer his life as a sacrifice for us. Now, myrrh, myrrh was used to prepare a body for burial. It was embalming. And so myrrh represented Jesus as our suffering servant, the one who took up our pain and our suffering on himself. And today we're going to talk about gold. Throughout history, because of its scarcity and its value, Gold has always been known as a gift fit for a king. And so the gold represents Jesus as our king. Now, we don't have a king in the U.S. Some of you have come from countries. Some of you call home a place that has a king. We don't. But it doesn't mean we don't have some kings around here. And so we're going to play a little game called Name That King. And now, I am going to show you a picture, and then you are going to shout out loud the name of that king. Okay? Kids, you, you ready? You ready? Adults? Okay. Here's the first one. When you think of Simba, you say? Lion King. Right. How about when you think of a giant ape? Yeah. All right, all right. Okay. How about when you think of Wakanda? <laughs> yeah, you think of Burger King, <laughs> King T'Challa, Black Panther, and then you already saw, and then the next one, when, how about when you think of a famous civil rights leader? Yeah, and lastly, when you think of hamburgers and a creepy mascot, Burger King, there you go, you know your kings, I like it, I like it. See now, those were some good kings especially if you're hungry and you have no money. Those are some good kings. But Jesus, Jesus, he's a king like no other. And over the, the next few minutes, we're going to talk about Jesus, the king like no other, from four different perspectives. And we're going to have four different people sharing with you today. First, we're going to talk about Jesus as a child king. 
And then Jesus as a servant king. And then Jesus as a personal king. And then Jesus as a coming king. So to kick us off, I'd like to invite Mr. Jeremy up here to talk about Jesus as a child king. Here, Michaelis. All right. So I'm Jeremy, the children's ministry director here at River Life. And kids, at this time, if you have an activity bag, there should be a piece of paper that's like a word search. Listen for each of the key words, and when you hear it, color in that box. So we're, we're talking about Jesus as a child king. And I know many things come to mind when you think of a king. Powerful, wise, privileged. But rarely do we think of the word child or even baby. But you know what? Jesus is a king like no other. He breaks the mold in nearly every single way. A little backstory: the Israelites were waiting for a king to come for hundreds of years. They were promised a king that was going to come from the line of David. So they were expecting a king to come that was going to be a conquering king, a king that was going to stand in front of their enemies and win in a great victory. Imagine their surprise when the king came in the form of a baby in a manger, amongst the animals, inside of a stable. Jesus stepped down from eternity to the lowest of places with ordinary people who care for him and raise him. From an early age, Jesus showed us that he was not an ordinary child. One of my favorite stories of Jesus is when he found his way to the temple in Jerusalem. Let's read it together. But one thing we do downstairs is I will read everything in black and everything in red. We will have the kids read with us or everybody read with us. It doesn't look like it's in red, unfortunately, but that's okay. I'll just read the whole thing. Okay, perfect. So, uh, so every year, Jesus's parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. When he was 12 years old, they went to the feast as they always did. After the feast days were over, they started home. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Thinking that Jesus was with them in the group, they traveled for a whole day. Then they began to look for him among their family and friends. How terrifying it must have been for Mary and Joseph to realize that they had left their child behind in a huge city by himself for an entire day of traveling. I can only imagine the things that went through their minds as they hurried back to Jerusalem. This, sadly enough, actually reminds me of a story from my childhood when I was younger. One of my siblings got left behind at church after we had all left to go out to lunch. Thankfully, it wasn't very long before we realized that they were left behind and they weren't in the car with us. And also, thankfully, we had cell phones. Thankfully, there was a time, even long ago when I was a kid, that we had cell phones. My parents were able to call family friends who were still at church, and they found my sibling with their friends playing outside. So we were able to return quickly and get them. Mary and Joseph weren't so fortunate. They were in a time without cell phones. Yes, kids, there was a dark time long ago where we didn't carry phones in our pockets at all times and could call anyone from anywhere we were. Knowing that, let's see how this story ends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him there. After three days, they found Jesus sitting in the temple with the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and answers. 
The point of this story wasn't about Jesus being lost. It was where he was found. He was in his father's house. Not his earthly father, Joseph, but his heavenly father. And the teachers and priests were amazed by Jesus. For his age, he understood things that they could not understand. And these teachers and priests were very educated, very intelligent, very proud people that were not easily impressed. But Jesus is not ordinary. Kids, just remember that even though Jesus knew everything there was to know, he still asked questions as a child in church. So don't ever be embarrassed to ask something that you want to know more about. In fact, did you know that Jesus also taught us in the book of Matthew that uh, he says, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So ask questions and even teach us old people how to see Jesus from younger eyes. Jesus was a child once, but he was also a king like no other. Next up, we have time. All right, good morning. My name is Tom, I'm the youth pastor here at Rarevife, and I'll be talking about Jesus as the servant king, the one who takes the role of the servant to serve us as kings. In the Gospel of John, chapter 13, we have an account of Jesus' last moments with his disciples. We're told that Jesus is aware of what is about to happen, so he gathers his disciples into a room to share one last meal. As they are gathering at this point, the disciples have been living with Jesus, eating, breathing, doing everything with them. And they have been relying on Jesus to teach them, to guide them, and to show them who God was. But all that was going to end, Jesus was about to leave. But Jesus had so much to share and to tell his disciples. In the middle of his meal with his disciples, Jesus suddenly got up from the table, wrapped a towel around his waist, and he began to wash the feet of his disciples. Looking around, the disciples were completely shocked and disturbed and confused, and they thought to themselves, why would Jesus, our teacher, our king, our Lord, why would he stoop so low to take up this task that's beneath himself? You see, during Jesus' time, they didn't have cement uh, sidewalks, and everything was dirt paths. Also on top of that, back then Birkenstock sandals were super hot and popular. So after a long day of walking in sandals and, and dirt, you can probably imagine with me just how dirty people's feet were. And as a, as a result of that, the Jewish people, they had this custom of washing the feet of their guests who would come into their homes. So by washing the feet of Jesus' disciples, Jesus essentially humbled himself to the role of a servant. This was radical. Jesus was someone who they looked at and held in high regard. Jesus didn't belong at their feet. But despite the status of being the king of kings, God himself, Jesus did not hesitate to do uh, what was beneath himself and what people considered to be beneath him. This caught the disciples off guard and they were surprised and maybe even a little bit horrified by his action of love and service. In this moment they got a glimpse of the king like no other. Oftentimes royalty, people of status like Jesus, tend to set themselves apart, tend to act different. 
They live by a different set of rules. And when we look at celebrities, political leaders, and influences in our world, we often see the opposite of Jesus' humility and meekness. It's almost as if the more power a person has, the more they, the more they take from people. The more the fame they have, the more the reasons they have to not pay attention to those who are beneath them. The more authority they have, the more they feel entitled to things in life. But throughout the gospel, we see Jesus very differently from those people around us. We see Jesus in a posture of humility. He redefines authority, sets aside his privileges that he rightfully deserves. And he cares for those who are needy, who are sick, hungry, and forgotten. So much to the point that it makes me wonder why the disciples were surprised that Jesus washed their feet. Because serving people was Jesus' thing. It was second nature to him. Jesus takes up the role of a servant and serves others as if they were kings. Instead of coming as one to be served, as a servant king who has the status of royalty, he carried an attitude the attitude of a, of a servant. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus is very clear on his purpose of why he came to, earth, to the earth. And he sets an example for all Christians to follow. He says in verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus could have came down, used his privileges to rule all of humanity. To set his kingdom up then and there. Yet he put aside his privileges and put the needs of all humanity in front of himself. As an ultimate act of service, he willingly laid his life down by dying on the cross to provide freedom to all who would believe in him. Jesus indeed is a king like no other. He is the servant king. The one who serves as the role of a servant and serves us as, a, as kings. Good morning. I'm going to be speaking in Wong. Uh, so for those of you who have never heard it, this will be your first time. And for those of you who don't speak English, this is for you. No, you have to make that kuchi chi paolo anti. ไปสั่งโกเมจูเปโกลูกโกเชนอ่ะนูโนเปฮาตูตะจีสูยออีตูฟุตายตะชีนูจีโรเอลูตูฟุตายทอกูวาจูอ่าซานูตูตูไคอ
เปยตองจุนิกังโนยลุลุกิปลอหาจุติมุเตตะชิเปนอจิเยสุจอลุโตยังเลนอฮะเปชายจอชุชิชงอ๋องไกนิกอจอจุนิกอยางยอชิเย
So you've heard about Jesus as a king like no other, as a child king, a servant king, and a personal king. So there's one more piece to the puzzle. Jesus is also a coming king. Now what does this mean? It means that Jesus came once, born as a baby, and that he's coming again, but this time as a king. Here's how Revelation 19 describes it. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me on a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. His eyes are like blazing fire. And on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that nobody knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dripped in blood. And his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. King of Kings. Now that means that he is the king over all other kings. Like Armani is the suit of suits. Rolls Royce is the car of cars. And guac is the Chipotle topping of Chipotle toppings. The King of Kings means that Jesus has power and authority over all other kings. No power on earth or in heaven can stand against him. And we see that in the book of Revelation. Throughout the book, there are all kinds of representations and manifestations of evil. There's a beast, a dragon. There are evil armies, an antichrist, and even the devil himself. And when you think of the end times, you probably think of violent battles like Armageddon, huge armies fighting each other to the end. But the truth is, there will be no battle. The book of Revelation is not full of battles, because there will be no battle. That's because Jesus is the King of Kings. There is no king, no power, no evil that Jesus can't overcome on earth, in heaven, or in your life. So what does Jesus do with all this power? After all evil is defeated, and there will be a day, when all evil is defeated and all is made right and all justice will be done. At that time, King Jesus establishes his kingdom. And then he proclaims this. There will be no more death, 
or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. I am making everything new. See, rulers always have an agenda. There are good rulers and there are bad rulers. So King Herod, he ordered the genocide of children because he was afraid. He had heard rumors of this new king being born in Bethlehem. The Jewish rulers, the Jewish leaders, they feared Jesus that it would upset their system of power and their privilege. And so they falsely accused him and turned him over to the Romans. And the Roman government feared Jesus would destabilize the region, so they crucified him. Everyone was concerned about their own agenda, but nobody realized that Jesus' agenda, his true agenda as king of kings, No one realizes or anticipated that this king's agenda would be to make all things new. Now the truth is, we probably have our own agendas about Christmas. Some of you are looking forward to having time off from school or work. Maybe for you, it's the giving and receiving of gifts. You just love that. Some of you are looking forward to enjoying time with family or friends. Maybe some of you, it's just to be able to sleep in and do nothing for a few days. And maybe for some of you, it's to catch up on a hobby or or work on your project to-do list around the house. We all have Christmas plans. And nothing is wrong with any of those. But when we don't set our hearts on Jesus, We miss out on His promise to make everything new, including you. When we don't set our hearts on Jesus, we miss out on His promise to make everything new, including you. So there are two things that Christmas invites us to. There are two things that Christmas invites us to look forward to. First, we can look forward to remembering how baby Jesus came to earth the first time and began making all things new. And we can look forward to the King Jesus returning to earth to finalize making all things new. So what are you looking forward to for Christmas? Now, as we look forward to Jesus' return, our anticipation also comes with preparation. When we look forward to something, we plan for it. And when we look forward to Jesus' return, we think about it and we plan for it. So I want you to take a moment to reflect. If Jesus were to return today as King of Kings, are you prepared for Him? Now, this isn't a guilt trip. That's not how we do things around here. That's not our style. 
But it is a question worth reflecting. I'm your pastor, and I deeply want you to know the joy and the newness that comes with Jesus. And to experience that promise of making everything new, including you. I deeply want that for you. I deeply want that for myself. So how can you be prepared for the king's arrival? How can you be prepared for that? Well, you give your life to Jesus. You trust Him as your Lord and your Savior. You follow Him as your teacher. You accept Him as your King. Romans 10.9 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let me ask you, have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Have you believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead? If yes, then you are saved. If no, or you're not sure, Christmas is a great time to be sure. It's a great time to say yes to Jesus and all that comes with him. And in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray with me. Now for the rest of you, the rest of you who, who claim the name and identity of Christian, you claim the name of Jesus, does your life reflect it? 1 Timothy 6, the Apostle Paul encourages his protege, Timothy, to do these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does your life reflect your faith? Are you following Jesus as king or are you just being a Christian? Have you run your life off into a ditch and you deeply need Jesus to upright you? Or do you just want a reset this Christmas? A reset for your life and your heart and your soul. I want to give you a chance to pray to Jesus. And for some of you, praying might be a regular thing. For some of you, praying might be a new thing. But if you want to believe Jesus, if you want to re-believe Jesus, if you need a reset, if you need Him to make you new, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Bow your heads. And you can repeat this prayer along with me. Out loud. In in your head. At home. In your bed. I just rhymed that one. Thank you. Pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, 
forgive my sins. Jesus, save me. Be the Lord of my life. Be my King. Fill me with your Spirit so I can follow you and worship you and show your love because you changed me. My life is not my own. I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.